Hey guys, good evening. Welcome to Grace Church. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you've had a good Labor Day weekend so far. Uh, I don't know if you know this, there's fireworks tonight in Barberton. Did you know that? Fireworks at the lake tonight. In fact, I saw that next door, they are at the, or actually two doors down, at the piggery. The piggery. They are, <laughs> there's no pigs in there anymore, but there used to be. But anyway, at the piggery, they're having like a bunch of people over there and doing something with lights and that sort of thing to be able to watch the fireworks. So if you don't have any plans tonight and you want to represent Grace Church, fireworks tonight, 10 o'clock, Lake Anna. I heard it's going to be purple. Last I checked, it wasn't purple. Somebody told me it's a two-step process, and it's supposed to be purple tomorrow. So the lake is going to be purple. Pretty exciting. So anyway, check that out if you want. Hey, um, before we jump into things, I have a couple things I want to remind you of and tell you about. So if you, you should have got a little program when you came in. If you wouldn't mind pulling that out. In the program, first thing, you have a little insert in there. Last week, we took time, actually during service, to fill this out and try to get as much information as we can from you guys, Uh, not with the purpose of like selling it or anything like that, but to communicate well with you. And so we're not going to take time during service to do that again, but if you didn't get a chance to fill that out last week, um, even if you've been coming to Grace Church for a long time, it would help us just to kind of update our record. So you can fill that out and then drop it in the uh, little basket after the sermon that we passed around. Um, Also, if you just want some more information about something, you can fill this out kind of as our regular connection card. Or on the back, if you want something uh, prayed for, if we can pray for you for some reason, I mean, I'd really love for you to write it on there and allow us the privilege of being able to do that. So again, you can just drop that in the offering basket uh, after the sermon. In your program, there's three things I want to highlight. The first one is the top one here, Grace Student Ministry. So Tyler Jensen is starting up our student ministries here at our campus, which is exciting, our middle school and high school ministry. So they've been doing some stuff, kind of some fun stuff, and digging into the Bible a little bit together over the summer. They're going to do it with a little bit more regularity this fall. And so the next one coming up is this coming Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Tyler's house. So if you are a middle school student or a high school student or you know one, invite them to come to this. I think it'll be a really cool thing. So that's coming up this Thursday. The one right below it, I'm super excited about too. So we've been talking about this for a couple weeks. In two weeks, September 19th, we're going to do our first baptisms here as a campus. And so if you are somebody who is a follower of Jesus and has never been baptized or you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus, sometimes some some of us are baptized as kids, right? If you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus, I'd really encourage you to, to do this, to be a part of this. We would love the privilege of being able to baptize you here in our services. It is a great way to stand up in front. This is is what the beautiful thing of baptism is. We always do baptism publicly, right? We always do it with with a group of people because you're standing up in front of people saying, I am a follower of Jesus and I'm not ashamed of that and I want everybody to know. And we got a chance in two weeks to be able to do that together. So we're going to kind of formulate our service around that. I'm really excited about that. You can mark if you are interested. We'll want to talk to you about it uh, before that. You can mark it on the back of this connection card and we will make sure that we follow up with you. Um, the next thing, the last thing I want to talk about is right below it is Discover Grace. Discover Grace is kind of the intro to Grace Church. So if you are newer to the church and kind of want to find out what we're all about, who we are, what we believe, why we do the things that we do, Discover Grace is your first step in doing that. Also, if you've been connected at Grace for a long time, you know this is the place that you're going to be and you want to become a member of Grace Church, this is also the first step 
toward membership. So this is coming up two weeks from tomorrow, September 20th. We're doing it at our house, Marsha and I's house, and so there is limited space. And so we need to kind of know if you're planning on coming, and then we'll give you the information. So again, that's something else that you can mark on that connection card, and we'll be sure to follow up with you. Any questions that you have, just give us a buzz uh, or check online. Online has a lot of details too. So um, this week I was uh, I was thinking about uh, driving a little bit. Not that long ago, I was driving and I uh, committed the cardinal sin. You know what the cardinal sin is? I changed lanes without checking my blind spot. You know, like I started to veer over and all, and I check it, but I check it a little late. You know, so I, I start to veer over and then I check my blind spot, and all of a sudden you hear those. Ah! you know, and this guy's all angry and cussing you out in his car or whatever. And, and I don't know how you guys respond, but I always look over and I think, why is that guy driving in my blind spot? What's his problem, right? <laughs> but I started thinking, I started thinking about blind spots and how dangerous they could be for us, right? Like when you're driving, a good driver, and I try to be a good driver, but a good, good driver is always like checking their mirrors, right? You, you look on this side, you look on this side, you look at your rear view mirror, see what's going on. You're always aware of what's going on around you because if you don't, if you're not aware and you go over without checking your blind spot, you can cause serious injury, right? Serious injury to an innocent motorist. So I started thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about our faith and how often we can have blind spots in our faith. So in a car, there's just, there's just some spots around the car that you can't see with your mirrors, right? You actually, they're kind of, they're unclear to you. They're kind of a mystery to you. They, you have to actually turn your head and look into that. And so I started thinking about that with us. And I think, I really believe this. You may disagree with me. Um, I really believe we all have blind spots in our faith. Somewhere or another, you know, we've got some spots that we're just not seeing. We, we've missed it. It's beyond our purview. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, and if we don't look into those blind spots and deal with those blind spots, we can cause some, just like in a car, you could cause some serious injury to an innocent motorist. We could cause some serious injury to people in our lives, right? Because of the things that we believe or don't believe or do or don't do as part of our faith. And so we have to be careful because our lives speak volumes to people. Right? Like the way that I live my life many times is much louder to people than the words that I use. And so tonight I want to talk a little bit about blind spots. And I want you to, uh, so, so some of what we might talk about tonight might rub you a little bit the wrong way. Like, I don't know, I've never really thought about that. I, I, I don't think I'm living that out. I don't think that's been an important thing to my life. It's been a blind spot to me. And I want to challenge you tonight to turn into that blind spot and look into it. Allow God to do what God God does inside of you. But you make that effort. Don't ignore it. But lean into it. Turn into it. And see what God does. Okay? So, um, tonight we're going to continue on in a series that we've been doing called Get It. And we said that this series is like really foundational to us. So as a campus of Grace Church, this is really important to us. This is part of our DNA. We are a church who knows it, who lives it, who gives it away. And we said it is the gospel. So our, our purpose statement as a church is this. We said our vision is to ignite a gospel-centered movement. A gospel-centered, so not just a church, not just a campus, but a movement. A gospel-centered movement by knowing it, 
living it, and giving it away. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so two weeks ago, we just talked about the gospel. Like, what is it? There's a reason for this giant it, right? Like, what is it? Well, it is the gospel. And we talked about, I, I just shared with you my way of communicating the gospel to people. And it's the way that makes sense to me in my mind, and it's eight words. And I think, I can memorize eight words. I can learn eight words. And I can communicate eight words to people either quickly or in a 40-minute sermon, right? And so, basically, what we said was, here, here's the gospel. God created everything, and it was really good. That's how he made it. He made it really good. We come into the picture, and instantly, we rebel against him. And we bring sin into the world, right? By our choices, by our selfishness. It started with Adam and Eve, and it's continued every single day inside of me and you. God could have left us there. God could have abandoned us in our sin. But instead, he chose to rescue us. He chose to offer us grace in the person of Jesus Christ, right? So God the Father sent God the Son to live and die for us to take the penalty that we deserve. So we use the, the metaphor of like, I'm in quicksand. I'm sinking in quicksand. God reaches down in grace in the person of Jesus and he reaches out to us and says, trust me, take my hand, right? Our job is to reach up and take his hand. That's trust. That's our responsibility. And he said, when we do that, he promises to transform us. It's beautiful. He promises to change us from the inside out, right? By the power of his Holy Spirit, he's changing us. And as he's changing us, we have a responsibility. Our responsibility is to conform. So we said, these are God's ways, right? He's made it really clear to us. He says, live by these ways. Our job is to conform to these ways as he's transforming us from the inside out. And then God promises that one day he's going to restore all things. So in the beginning, he made it really good, right? He created it really good. We screwed it up. One day, in the end of Revelation, it says he's going to make everything new. He's making all things new. It's beautiful. This life isn't all that there is. We have the, the hope of a future life with God, very presence of God. Our job is to hope, right? So he created everything. We rebelled, right? He offers us grace. Our job is to trust. He's transforming us then. Our job is to conform to him. And one day he's going to restore all things. And our job is to hope for that day. That's it. That's that's it. That's the gospel of Jesus in eight words, right? Stuff that God does, stuff that we does, that we does, that we does, that we do. So two weeks ago, that's what we talked about. And I challenged you, I said, do you get it? Like in your own life? Do you do you do you have it? Have you, have you grabbed hold of the gospel and made it your own? And if you have, and I hope you have, I hope you have, if you have, can you communicate that to other people? That's really important that I can communicate it, that I can communicate the gospel. It doesn't have to be my way, but that I can communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to people in a way that's clear, concise, and from my heart, right? That's personal. So that was two weeks ago. Last week we talked about knowing it, and we said we got to be people that know it. We got to be people that know the gospel and know the God of the gospel. And knowing the gospel and the God of the gospel is not like a one time thing, but it's something that we dig deeper and deeper and deeper into as time goes on because we're not just learning like in school for information, for knowledge, for understanding. 
understanding. But we're also learning to change our lives, right? And we're learning for relationship with God. And that takes time. So just like any other relationship, if I just meet Karen for the first time, I get to know her, we become friends. I know about this much about Karen, right? Because we just met each other. There's a, whole, there's a whole bunch about Karen I don't know. It takes time to get to know Karen as we develop a relationship with each other. And if, and if human beings can be that complex, how much more complex is God, right? Like it takes time for us to get to know him and develop a relationship with him. And so last week, we ended our time saying, I, I challenged you, I said, why don't you just lean into God in a way that you never have before this week? Like, what if we did that? What if we just, and that looks different for everybody, right? Maybe for some of you, it means I'm going to pick up the Bible this week, and I'm going to read a verse. I'm going to think about it. And I'm going to talk to God about it. And I'm going to think about what it means in my life. Maybe for others of you, it's something different. It's, it's spending time fasting. You know, it's, it's solitudinal prayer with God. Maybe it's reading every single day in the Bible. What I challenge you, what does it look like for you to dig in, to know it, to spend time with Him in a way that you never have before, right? I hope you had a chance to do that this week. The last, one of the last things I talked to you about last week is, is kind of sets the stage for where we're going tonight. So we said, once we get it, right, once we get the gospel and we begin to know it, knowing it fuels living it and giving it away, right? So once I get it, once I understand, I've, I've grabbed hold of the gospel, I've made it my own, as I'm getting to know the gospel and the God of the gospel, it challenges me to live it out in my life and to give it away to other people, right? As I know it, it fuels me to live it and to give it away. So I was thinking about I was thinking about motivation this week. Like motivation is a tricky thing. Like I like to work out a lot, but there are just some days that I have no motivation to work out. Right? Like none at all. I got the time, but I got no motive. Motivation is a slippery thing. It's kind of elusive, and and when you don't have it, it is hard to generate motivation from none. So so probably a lot of us feel like, man, my life is so busy. I got so much stuff going on in my life. I wish I had more hours in the day to get everything done. Listen, if I'm honest, I think I probably have enough hours in the day to get all the stuff done that I actually need to get done. The, the problem for me is do I have the motivation to get it done when I, when I actually have a window to get it done? Like exercise. I, I, I think I have enough time every day to exercise if I would just have the motivation to do it like right after work or something, right? Like I, I think I could get the, the, the trim that's flaking off the I'm sorry the paint that's flaking off the trim around my door I probably have plenty of time to actually go fix that if I could just find the motivation on Sunday afternoon to go do it instead of watching a football game or taking a nap right like I probably it's just as easy to eat healthy as it is to eat unhealthy if I could just motivate myself to eat healthy right motivation is a big thing and the right kind of motivation the right kind of motivation is a big deal too like I could be tempted Temporarily, forcibly motivated by someone or something, right? Like a drill sergeant could forcibly motivate his cadets to get up at five o'clock in the morning and do physical training, right? Like Marsha could, Marsha's my wife, Marsha could hold a knife to my throat and say, you will not have any more donuts, right? <laughs> 
she doesn't do that all that often, but sometimes, no. Actually, it's really funny. Last, last Friday, or last Sunday, I was meeting with our steering team here, and I got a text right in the middle of the meeting, and I don't usually like look at my text when I'm meeting with people, but I happened to look at it, and she said, the, the, the text, all it said was, please don't bring home any donuts. Thank you. I love you. <laughs> she knows me well, right? So anyway, but that kind of motivation, that forced motivation, it's only good when the motivator's there, right? It's only good when the motivator's present. And, and it's not heartfelt. It's not lasting. I want you to think about our motivation for living it. I want you to think about what your motivation is for living out the gospel in your life. Like, I, as I think about it, I think I can do it. Like, I have the capacity to do it. But what's my motivation for doing that? Like, why, why am I motivated to live it out? Why am I motivated to live out the good news of Jesus Christ in my life? Is it because I feel forced to do it? Is it because it's driven by fear, you know? Or is it for some other reason? We're going to dig into that because what motivates us to live it out, I think is one of the most important things about us following Jesus. If we get this wrong, it messes up so many other things in our Christian walk beyond it. So it's really important that we get it. So I want to look at a passage. Flip your Bibles open, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, we've got a whole table full of them back there. We'd love for you to have one. You can take it home with you. It's yours. But 2 Corinthians, as you're flipping there, the writer's a guy named Paul, and he's writing to the Christians in Corinth back there, which is an important thing to understand. So he's writing to Christians. And Corinth was a real popular city back then. I've heard Corinth compared today to, like, present-day Las Vegas. Like, in Corinth, anything goes. Like, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, right? Like, that's, that's kind of what Corinth was like. And so Paul's really challenging them in this letter that he's writing to them, he's really challenging them to not just get it, not just get the gospel, to accept the gospel, to, to grab hold and trust, but also to live it out, to live it out in their lives. And in chapter 5, I think he hits the nail right smack on the head as to what our motivation is for us to live out the gospel in our lives. And it's not to earn something. I don't live it out in order to earn salvation. It's not to retain something. I'm not choosing to live it so that I don't lose my salvation. If I don't live this way, God might snatch it from me. That's not, that's not the motivation. It's not because, you know, I need to appease an angry God. That's not it. It's not to try to get blessings from God. I'm not living it. I'm not living my life in order to have prosperity. That's a very popular theology today. That's not at all what Paul says. What he says is really interesting, and I want to look at it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What's our motivation for living out the gospel? Verse 14. This is what he says. He says, For Christ's love compels us. Let me say that again. Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. See guys, if this is so important. If we really want to get it and to know it and to live it and to give it away, we have got to grasp Paul's heart here. 
This is incredibly important for us. What is my motivation? Why am I choosing to live out the gospel in my life? Why am I committed to live it? You know what the answer is? Christ's love compels me. It's because of Him. His love. He loves me. I am His. Do you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked a little bit about identity, our identity. I I would love to, we got to do a series on that sometime. We delved into it a little bit. My identity is found in Jesus, right? As a follower, when when I get it, my identity is found in Jesus. In verse 17 it says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, in Christ is identity, right? I'm part of the family. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation's come, the old's gone, the new is here. If you get it, if you understand, if you know, love, and follow Jesus, you commit yourself to Him, then you are in Christ, right? You're in Christ. Your previous identity as a child of Adam, as a sin, which is really just a euphemism for being a sinner, right? Your previous identity as a sinner is now gone. It's gone. That's not your identity anymore. Instead, you are made new. You're a new creation and your identity comes from Jesus. And guess what? He absolutely adores you. He absolutely loves you. He rescues you and he loves you and it's his love for you and me that compels us, that motivates us to live our lives for him. Guys, this is so big. This is so big. When you think about living your life for Jesus, when you think about living out the gospel in your life, the why, the motivation for doing that is so incredibly important. If we get this wrong, it messes up so many other things. We start living We start having these weird ideas of who God is, what God values, what God thinks of me, and what God doesn't think of me. Christ's love compels me to live out the gospel in my life. I want to give you an example, kind of just just a very real example from my life that helps that helps really hit this and bring this home to me. So my family, I was really, I'm really blessed. I say that very humbly. I am really blessed that God has given me an incredible family. Like I have two sisters that are wonderful sisters and a brother who's just a great brother. And I have parents who are wonderful parents. And I realize that not everybody has that. In fact, we were at our men's group this morning. We were talking a little bit about our families and our, we are talking about being a dad and our relationship with our dads. And so many guys just in that one group don't have any of that. Their relationship with it. Their dad was not the greatest dad in the world. I've been very, very blessed. And as I think about my dad in particular, like my dad had some hard things in his life. So he was one of five boys. He's the youngest of five brothers. So so my grandma had three boys. She got pregnant with another boy and found out it was twins. <laughs> five boys, right? And my dad's dad died when he was 14 years old, which is a real pivotal time, you know, in a young man's life. And my and then his mom had a bad heart. She had a bad heart condition. And so so she was sick. Eventually she got a Maker, but she was sick for a lot of his for a lot of his childhood, and so my dad's identity came from his parents. Right, he's a Martell. He's a child of Charles and Elizabeth. That's who he was. He was born to them, and he grew up with them under their parenting, under their influence. Well, I remember my dad telling me something that really stuck. It really hit my heart. Some of you guys know my dad. My dad is uh, just a very gentle, humble guy. He's the only guy that I tower over. It's really cool. 
He's like 5'3". Anyway. But he's just a gentle, humble guy. And he loved his mom and dad. They're obviously both passed away now. But he loved his mom and dad so much. And after his dad died and his mom was always sick, he just didn't want to do anything to hurt her. You know? He didn't want to do anything to hurt her any further. He really loved her. And so he was a good boy so that he wouldn't cause his mom any additional pain. I remember my dad telling me that. Like he loved her and she loved him. One of the things that those five boys knew is that their mama loved them, right? Absolutely committed to them. And so my dad, my dad lived his life in such a way as to please his mom. He loved her and he knew that she loved him. Now he didn't do it because he's trying to earn more love from her. She loved him as much as she could possibly love him. He didn't do it because he really wanted to you know, stay under her roof and if he didn't, maybe she's going to kick him out. That didn't, that didn't it. He didn't do it because you know, he, he didn't want to be punished. He feared punishment. That's not it. She, she was in no state to be able to punish him. He didn't do it because he was trying to manipulate her and get something from her. He lived the way that he did because he loved her and he knew just how much she loved him because he adored his mom her love for him compelled him to live a certain way to do the right things and to not cause her pain you tracking with me now listen this is so similar with us and God so similar with us and God. When I get it, I am his, right? I'm part of his family. I'm his child. I have a parent who absolutely adores me. And because God gives me my identity as his child, and because he loves me so totally, so completely, I'm compelled to live my life for him because I love him too. He loves me and I love him. And so I want to I live my life in a way that's not causing him pain. Just like my dad didn't want to cause my grandma pain, right? I I love God and I know he loves me. And his love for me compels me to live my life in a certain way. I'm not doing it to earn anything. He's already given me everything, right? Even the promise of eternal life. I'm not doing it to retain anything. He's not taking anything away from me. He's the great provider. I'm his child. He provides for my needs. I'm not doing it to try to appease an angry God. He's not angry. He loves me, right? I'm his. I'm not doing it to to try to get blessings from God and live in prosperity. That's called selfishness, right? It's not even about me. It's about him and his glory and his honor. See, Christ's love compels me. Guys, do you you feel how liberating that is? Think about your life and living for God, living for the gospel and why you're doing it, what motivates you. It's his love. Like He absolutely adores you, right? Think about how liberating that is. Why do I try to live my life for Jesus? Because, man, Jesus has saved me from everything. Like I, I remember what my life was like. I remember feeling hopeless. I remember feeling the weight of my sins. And he's removed all of that stuff from me. As far as the east is from the west. And he's made me part of his family. He's given me a new identity. No longer as a child of Adam. No longer as a sinner. But now as a child of God. I love him. I want to live my life for him. And I want to live it in such a way that other people recognize it. Other people see it. And it causes them to want to get to know this incredible God too. His love compels us. It causes me to live it. He, it says, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves 
but for him who died for them and was raised again. My question to you is how are you living? I got a few questions for you. I want you to think about them. How are you living? And why are you living the way that you're living? Are you living for Christ? The one who came and lived and died for you and was raised to new life for you? Are you living for some other reason? Are you living it compelled? That word compelled is an interesting word. Compelled, moved, controlled, forced, compressed, like just squeezed into. Are you, are you doing it because of the love of Christ? Are we doing it for some other reason? Now, what does it look like? Like, what, what does that even look like in a life? What, what would my life look like to, to be living it compelled by the love of God? Well, Paul actually gives us, he, in, in the rest of 2 Corinthians, he actually really tells us and models what it looks like for us to live it. And I, I want to say this, listen, if you don't get the first part, if we don't understand our motivation, why am I living it? I'm living it because of Christ's love. His love compels me. If we don't get that first, then this is just a bunch of rules. Well, what I'm going to share with you now, it's just a bunch of rules, it's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. If we get it, if we understand that we're compelled by His love, this is freeing and liberating, and it's a way that we can honor God and we can love the people that He loves. So that's the foundation. I want us to look at some of these things that Paul talks about to the Corinthians, and I want you to think about what it looks like for these things to play out in your life. My goal right now is just cause you to think, okay? So I'm going I'm to take you through five things, and I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. I just want you to think. So you've got to do the hard work of like evaluating your life. And, and some of these things might be blind spots for you, okay? There might be things that maybe you've not thought of before, or you've not thought of in this way before. I really challenge you, if God, if God kind of moves you tonight and shows you this is blind spot, turn your head and look into that blind spot and allow him to do what he wants to do in your heart, okay? So five things. The first thing, and I'm just going to read you a passage and then I'm going to ask you some questions about it, okay? To think about. First thing, we've already, we've already said it. It's uh, first, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 16. We read it a couple times. Here's what it says. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What does it look like for me to live it, compelled by the love of Christ? Well, I don't see anyone in worldly ways. How do you see people? I think about your life. When you, when you encounter people, hopefully you get to meet a lot of new people here every week. When you see people, how do you see them? Do you see them in worldly ways? You know, do you see them in physical? Do you see dreadlocks when you see people? Do you see black and white? Do you see rich and poor? Do you see old and young? Do you see somebody who's easy to talk to or somebody that's painful to talk to? Like, how do we see people? We can see people in a lot of worldly ways, can't we? Like, we just, we just can. That comes very naturally for us. How do you think God wants you to see people? Like, think about that. How do you think He wants you to see people? How about as incredibly valuable? Incredible, worth their weight in Christ's blood. I think that's how he wants us to see people. No matter what they look like, no matter what they act like, no matter what they talk like, no matter what they smell like, no matter what they think like, do I love people like Jesus loves people? Or do I see people in worldly ways? As I'm compelled by Christ's love, am I seeing people through worldly eyes or through spiritual eyes, through Jesus' eyes? That's the first thing. Second thing, 
he goes on in chapter 6, he says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path. Think about that. Think about this in your life. Me living it, me living out the gospel. I put no stumbling block in people's path. How aware am I about how my life and my choices are affecting other people? Like, think about that in your own life. Like, how aware am I about how my life and my choices are affecting other people? Do I care? I, I've heard that many times. I don't care. I'll live my life the way I want to live my life. I don't care what you think about how I live my life. It doesn't sound very compelled by Christ's love, does it? Do I not want to put a stumbling block in people's lives? Or am I more concerned about my preferences, my freedoms, my privileges? Paul talks about, chapter 6 is an incredible chapter. You should read 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In fact, read 6, 8, and 9. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. But in chapter 6, he talks about some of these hardships that he endured for the sake of helping people get it, right? So that he wouldn't be a stumbling block in anybody, but that he would help them get it. It says he endured beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleep. Sleepless nights, hunger. And it says he and his friends, not just him, but he and his friends did it in purity, with understanding, with patience, kindness, and the power of the Holy Spirit, and with great love. Ask yourself this question How willing am I to endure some of the garbage in life? And there's lots of garbage so that others can be blessed. Like, how willing am I to endure those things to not be a stumbling block? It's exactly what Jesus did for us, right? I think of the terrible things that he endured so that we could be blessed, so that we could experience freedom. Am I willing to take abuse from other people to demonstrate the unconditional love of God? Or am I more worried about me and my freedom and my privileges? Do I fight back? Do I complain that my my rights were violated? As I'm compelled by Christ's love, am I a stumbling block to others? Third thing, a little bit later in chapter 6. He says, We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you. Let me ask you this. As you think about living the gospel out in your life, how wide open is your heart? Think about, think about your heart. Think about how you love people. Will you let other people in? Like this is, this is especially hard. This is especially painful when we've been hurt by people in the past, right? Like when I've opened up my heart to somebody and they've abused it, right? They've violated it. They've wounded me. That's, that makes me a little gun shy to do it again, doesn't it? Many times we think, as long as I'm not hating somebody, I'm all right. I don't hate anybody. I know God doesn't want me to hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. As long as I don't hate anybody, I'm all right. I stumbled across a quote from novelist, Holocaust survivor, Eli Weissel. This is what he said. It's profound, I think. It really got me thinking. He said, the opposite of love is not hate. A lot of times we think that. It's indifference. The opposite of love isn't hate, but it's indifference. See, love isn't not hating. Love isn't indifference. Not caring. It's the opposite of that. Am I actively opening wide my heart to other people? Will I let other people in? Even if I've been hurt in the past, will I freely tell people how much I love them, show them affection to others? And we need to use wisdom. We need to use wisdom with this. I realize sometimes when somebody's hurt us, we need to be careful with that. But in general, am I free and generous with my love for people? Ask yourself that question. Am I free and generous with my love for people? Do I open up my heart to them? Or am I more concerned with guarding it? 
shutting things down, protecting myself, making sure I don't get hurt. I don't think people ever die thinking, man, I wish I would have loved people less. Nobody ever says that, right? Compelled by Christ's love, how do I do it? Opening my heart to others. Fourth thing. It's chapter 7. This is an interesting one. Paul says, Even if I caused you, Corinthians, sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. And you became sorrowful as God intended, so you were not harmed in any way from us. See, Paul wasn't afraid to speak the truth to Christians who are kind of going off the deep end, right? He wasn't afraid to speak the truth in loving ways, even if it might have caused some discomfort for people, some some awkwardness, some temporary hurt. He wasn't afraid to speak the truth to them. Not because he saw himself as the morality police. A lot of times we could do that, right? You're doing something wrong. I see that. We're not the morality police. But because we love people, right? Because I'm compelled by Christ's love. Let me ask you, are you willing to initiate an uncomfortable conversation with people out of love? With humility, with grace. Are you willing to do that in your life? And I'm not talking about, you know, people who aren't Christians. I'm talking about Christians. We shouldn't expect people who aren't Christians to act like Christians, right? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. But Christians should act like Christians, right? And if you have brothers and sisters in your life that are falling off the deep end, that are making terrible choices, what's more loving to go, I don't really want to get involved, I don't want to rock the boat, I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable, or to go to them in love and grace and say, buddy, I'm concerned about you. I care about you. As a pastor, I have to have, I don't have to, I guess, but I have to initiate awkward conversations quite often with people that are going through hard things, you know? and, And I don't like it. No one likes it. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. But it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And when we do the right thing, when we make those choices that God wants us to make, it's amazing how God works in those situations. This, just this past week, I had an awkward conversation. I had to initiate an awkward conversation with somebody. And, uh, and it w- was uncomfortable. I'm mean, going to be honest with you, it was uncomfortable. And it doesn't always work this way. But many times it does. In the end, it turned out for good. It's amazing how God does that. Am I afraid to take the risk and speak the truth to others who are going off the deep end? Or will I take a step forward and initiate that awkward conversation because I care about my brothers and sisters? As I'm compelled by Christ's love, what do I do? That's the fourth thing. Last thing. Chapter 9. Chapters 8 and 9 in 2 Corinthians. Paul just talks about generous living. Like, what does it look like for us to live generous lives? And, it, and don't think narrowly there. Don't just think about your wallet when we talk about generous living. Don't think that. It's much broader than just our wallet, but our entire lives. And in chapter 9, he kind of sums it up. He says it this way. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As you think about living it in your life, compelled by Christ's love, would you call yourself a generous person? Or is generosity something that you struggle with? 
I tell you, some of you are the most generous people I know. Absolutely. It is so humbling how many people give of their time and talents and resources to make just this happen every week. It's incredible. Some of you are the most generous people I know. And for others of you, it's a struggle. For others of you, it's a little bit of a blind spot. How do you look at your time and your talents and your treasures? Do you look at them as your limited resources that are used to meet your needs and your wants? Or do you see them as a gift from God, meant to be used for much more than just your own consumption? Like, I I love, don't you love just hanging out with generous people? Like, there's just something good about that. Not not because they might give you something, not that, right? But they're, they're just fun people to be with because they're not so enveloped in themselves, right? Like, they, they care about other people. They open their lives up to other people. Life isn't all about them. You just want to hang out with people like that. They realize their connection with others. Selfless giving of our time, of our giftedness, of our money is good for us. Like, it's just good. It's just good for us. And as a Christian, it's beautiful because you're telling God two things. Like, when we live generously, we're telling God two things. First thing is thank you for giving me all that you've given me, right? When I'm generous with others and I, and I give freely, I'm thanking God for what he's given me. And I'm also saying I depend on you. I'm, I'm giving stuff away. I depend that you are going to provide for me in the future, right? Compelled by Christ's love, how generously are you living your life? God knows and he cares. There's lots more that we could talk about, lots more. And that's probably enough for tonight. Let me ask you this. Let me end this way. What do you do when you realize you got a blind spot? Like, what do you do when you realize you fall, you're falling a little bit short in one of these areas? And these are kind of big, five big overarching things, right? In terms of living it. What does it look like for me to live out the gospel in my life? What do I do when I find a blind spot? Do I try harder? I'm just going to do it. You can do it. I could have pom-poms and I could be your cheerleader up here, right? That is a terrible image in your mind that I just created. I'm sorry about that. You could, do you just try harder? No, that's not it. You know, do you worry about you know, God's fear and, or God's judgment and rejection of you? Like I, I know if, if I keep living this way, God, I, he's probably just going to abandon me. He's probably just going to leave me. That's not, that's not a good reason. Do you do it because you're driven to change by guilt? I just feel terrible, so I should probably change the way that I'm living. What's the answer for where I fall short? What's the answer for when I find a blind spot in my, in my life? Well, none of those things. Remember, Christ's love compels me, and knowing it fuels living it and giving it away. What's the answer? The answer is get to know Jesus better and get to know his gospel better. That's, that's the answer. I mean, it's so simple, guys. If I look and I see something that, man, I'm struggling with this. The answer isn't, doggone, I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm just going to work through it. Or, or it's not like, I'm going to change because I fear that God's going to do something bad to me. He's going to take blessings away from me if I don't. Those are terrible reasons. All we got to do is just go to Him. Like, spend time with Him. Dig deeper in, into that relationship. I really believe that most of the problems that we feel, the stresses, issues, frustrations, problems that we feel in our lives would be solved for us if we would just spend more time with God. I really believe that. And I don't mean that all of our situations are going to change. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying spend time with God and He's going to heal you of your cancer. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if He doesn't change our situation, He'll change our heart. 
He'll change our perspective of that situation. The answer is not to work really hard. The answer is to delve, to lean into my relationship with Jesus and just see how he changes me. Just see how he causes me to look back into my blind spot and deal with it in a way that's honoring to him and then will speak volumes to people who see it in my life. That's my challenge to you. It's the same challenge as last week. Get to know him this week. It breaks my heart, and I appreciate the honesty. I, I really do. But it breaks my heart when I hear, I, I didn't spend any time with God this week. I, I, didn't, I didn't pick up my Bible. I didn't spend any time in prayer. Like I think about my kids. And I think, man, if my kids didn't want to have anything to do with me, I'd make my daughter give me hugs. <laughs> I'm big enough that I can make her still, right? If she didn't want to have anything to do with me, if she neglected me all week, that break my heart. Absolutely. Especially if she was struggling and I could help her. But she never came to me for help. I challenge you this week. Go to him. He's not angry at you. He loves you more than anything. He, he welcomes us back. He patiently waits. He welcomes us back with open arms. We just have to take that step toward him. And we have to run into those arms. That's my challenge to you this week.